What's up, everybody? Welcome into Hockey Mountain High, your go-to avalanche podcast presented by Total Beverage in Thornton and Westminster. I'm your host, JJ Jerez. As always, with me here to break things down is Arif Dean and Patrick Stedman making us sound nice and pretty for your eardrums. We've got some good hockey to get into here, Arif. Avs have won three in a row and eight of their last ten. But before we get into that, there's some big news we got to get into, and that is the return of Bowen Byram. I think it's a little bit sooner than we all expected, um, but hasn't played since January. He's missed the last 37 games for the Colorado Avalanche, so I know I speak for everyone here where I say we're excited to see Bowen Byram get back in the lineup, and he's joining the team in Pittsburgh for their game tomorrow, or I guess Wednesday. Yeah, no, it is tomorrow, Tuesday. Yeah, we're, we're mixing up our days here, but uh, is, is, is it really sooner than we expected? I mean... It's, it's I would say it's sooner than I expected. I, I hope it's not too soon for his standpoint. But I mean, I think a lot of us thought that he was going to be done for this season and maybe, uh, you know, pay a little more attention during the offseason to what he could potentially come back and do. Yeah. And, and that's kind of the thing. Like, I know that that's been kind of the general consensus is let's just shut him down for the season. But with him ramping up his skating here the last it's been like two or three weeks now. And then with him getting sent to the AHL literally to play two games over the weekend, like we still kind of have this sense of like, this is sooner than we expected. But at the same time, it's like, this is literally going according to plan. Like he went on that last road trip before the Pittsburgh game. So it's kind of, it's a weird spot right now that we're in where it feels like it's too soon, but it's also been setting up for this and we've been preparing for this, but we're also kind of not prepared because everybody wanted Byram to sit for, you know, the season and kind of make sure that he's taking care of himself. But from, you know, everything that I see here, like he's, he's ready to rock and roll. Like he's uh, playing in the AHL. Isn't going to, you know, make you less concussion prone than playing in the NHL. Bowen Byram has played professional hockey, professional impact sport hockey on Friday night and Saturday night. We are not recording Sunday. Obviously you and I are meeting up here today. It's Monday afternoon. We're recording on Monday. He's going to play on Tuesday, his third game in five nights, assuming he gets into the lineup. Like, this isn't and and after the games on Friday Saturday like he played a back to back in the AHL and the AHL sometimes could be more physical than the N, than the NHL because players are trying to fight for their professional lives in that league and uh, he played two games in two days he woke up the very next day on Sunday felt fine woke up on Monday felt fine and said I'm taking this flight with the team to Pittsburgh so like I, it feels like it's too soon I get that but it's also like seems like he's ready like there's there's really no cause for concern right now yeah it's a case of cautious optimism right i mean we're so used to such bad news with injuries around here that every time you get an update you, you kind of say oh hmm, well that's good news oh hmm, well that's heading the right direction oh nathan mckinnon's hand isn't broken hmm well that's good so i think with all this news we're cautiously approaching like all right we know that there could be any moment where all this falls apart but yeah, it does feel like, uh, you know, he got back sooner than, than we were ready for. I mean, I know the build up the last couple of weeks, we've been waiting for him to get back and we've seen it coming. But if you told me, I guess, back in February that he was going to be back this season, I would have approached it with cautious optimism. Yeah, no, I get that. And I kind of my tune changed when Joe Sackick spoke to the media, if you remember, weeks before the uh, trade deadline. Yeah. Yeah. And he's straight up said, we hope to have Bo. And you and I talked about this many, many times when he said, we hope to have Bo back this season, my tune changed. Cause Joe would never say that if it wasn't something that he genuinely thought would happen. So I like what you said there. It's not that 
it's sooner than we expected. It's sooner than we were ready for. And I feel like that's the best way to put it. But, you know, in, in, in the end, like this is different than the McKinnon finger thing, whatever the hell Nazem Kadri is dealing with. Like in the end, the avalanche, you know, they're just kind of got to cross their fingers. It's a concussion. Concussions are hard to predict what happens. Some players have careers after concussions like Sidney Crosby has, or David Perron has both of won Stanley cups and have had long careers after suffering a concussion that has kept them out for a season. And then other players are Eric Lindros and, and Joey Hishin and Peter Mueller. Like we've, we've seen it go both ways and it's just kind of crossing your fingers that Bo is kind of trending more towards that, Crosby Perron type of career post concussion than the other way. So it's just a matter of, you know, just it's, it's, it's a coin flip. It's a concussion, man. Like that's all it is. But the, the fact that in my opinion, that Bowen played Friday and Saturday has played hockey and still seems fine says to me that he's, he's fine. That being said, if you're Jared Bednar, you know, I feel like you might have a sense of caution when you're approaching putting Bo Byram back in the lineup. So how do you, anticipate he utilizes Bowen Byram moving forward I mean do you think he maybe takes it a little lighter on him or does he just throw him right back in the way he would have utilized him had he been in the lineup the entire time I I, I think he's going all in I the if there's one thing I've learned about Jared Bednar and the avalanche the I should say the avalanche era with Jared Bednar as the head coach is they don't ease guys into the lineup they ease guys, sorry, they ease guys into the lineup. They don't ease guys into game action. So the difference is they're not going to bring him back quicker and be like, all right, we're going to play you and slowly get you acclimated. They're going to make you wait as long as humanly possible until you're ready to jump into the game and be you when you play. So that's kind of the difference. They're not going to play Bo today if they have to ease him in and be like, all right, we're going to do this cautiously. That's probably where he was in the road trip in Calgary and Minnesota. They likely could have played him then and played him five to 10 to 12 minutes and just kind of eased him in. But I think when Jared puts a player into the lineup, he has made sure that you are 100% ready to go to be you. There is no easing it. It's we're going to take, we're going to make you miss extra games to make sure that when you do come in, you are who you can be. And and that's what I expect. Give me a prediction. And here's my prediction. You guys will probably hear this, you know, by the time you're listening to this, there will probably have been some kind of news, be it a morning skate Tuesday morning, or be it maybe some news that we get before then or after that. But in my opinion, if Bowen Byram slots into the lineup against the Penguins, you're going to see Taves and McCarr on the first pair. You're going to see Johnson and Johnson on the third pair. And you're going to see Bowen Byram playing with Josh Manson on that middle pair. That's just kind of, in my opinion, what I think might happen. But we'll see. Yeah, that's kind of what I was going to get at next is how do you think he fits into kind of the the way the team looks now, right? Because that defensive group that existed on his last game on January 10th against Seattle versus the defensive group today, right? Minus Gerard, add in Manson. Um, it's, a, it's a bit different. So, I mean, how do you yeah. think he slots in there? How does he fit chemistry-wise? Does anything really change? Are you confident that he just jumps right in and, you know, looks great and plays the part and might even pair well with Manson. That's honestly what I think is going to happen. Like I, you know, I was on the mile high sports radio show this morning and I kind of mentioned that like this potential. And again, like there is no confirmation when you and I are speaking that this is going to be a pair, but this is just straight assumption on my end. But, uh, this potential Bowen Byram, Josh Manson pairing that could potentially happen is like the perfect storm for both players. Like, has Bo ever played with a defensively sound player like Josh Manson? 
and has Josh Manson ever played with as skilled an offensive guy as Bowen Byram? Like, obviously, Josh has played with guys like Cam Fowler or even Jamie Drysdale this year. But, like, Bo is a level above those guys, like, even at this age. And for Bowen Byram, his time in the NHL, he's played with an older Eric Johnson. He's played with Sam Girard, where both of the guys are kind of rushing the puck up the ice. But now he might be paired with somebody that is going to give him the ability to be himself. And he's going to be the Mark Mathot to Bowen Byram's Eric Carlson. He's going to be that more stay at home guy. That's going to give you the ability to kind of do your thing and flex your puck, you know, your puck skills and your puck movement uh, muscles and uh, just really make that a defensively sound pair with an offensive twist to it. Bowen Byron plays on the left. Josh Manson plays on the right. Perfect. Jack Johnson on the left. Eric Johnson on the right. Perfect. Kale McCarr, Devontae's perfect. You're, you're pretty much set up for that to be your core. And the crazy thing is you're still missing Sam Gerrard and you're still missing Ryan Murray, both of which are guys that deserve to play every single night. So when you have a healthy D you got eight of these guys and that doesn't even include Curtis McDermott, who's been pretty pretty reasonable lately like I don't want to say he's been great but he hasn't been bad so there's a lot of depth here but that Bowen Byram Josh Manson pairing just makes way too much sense not to have that be the pair right away I like it gives you that flexibility to almost have Bowen Byram as that fourth forward out there like they tend to like to do with McCarr and Gerard and we heard all the great comments that Manson had to say while watching Kale McCarr, right? I think he'll be pleasantly surprised that Bowen Byram's kind of just a miniature version of Kale McCarr, has a lot of the same tools in his tool belt and can do a lot of the same thing. So, you know, getting to see it as his partner, I think, will be a, a nice treat for Josh Manson as well. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, he's kind of been blown away by the skill that these guys have been playing with since he got here. And my favorite part is, like, Josh had a hell of a game against Pittsburgh. He he really picked it up and, you know, I don't want to say picked it up as if he was playing bad because he wasn't. He just kind of needed to get acclimated to his new team. And it's good that he's kind of shake, shaken off his rust joining a new team before Bowen Byram comes in. Because the last thing you want to do is bring in a new guy in Josh Manson, bring in Bowen Byram off the shelf after 37 games, put these two guys together and be like, figure it out. So now that Josh has got it figured out, it's going to give Bo a little bit of time to kind of ease into this as well. And, um... You know, if that pair does as well as we think, then like, I don't know, maybe Gerard and Johnson are back to being a pair again. Maybe uh, Gerard and Murray, maybe, I don't know, like it's just there's so many guys here. Like, I don't even know how to set up that depth chart, but, you know, that's a problem for Jared Bednar. It's a good problem to have. But the cool thing about basically what I'm trying to get across is like if this Byram Manson thing works, I, I don't really see a reason to change it when they're fully healthy. It's not like Eric Johnson or, you know, not Eric Johnson, but Sam Gerrard is like automatically guaranteed that spot or, you know, by any means, it's just, it just seems like it would be such a good pair. And, and again, there's no news on if Byram is even playing against Pittsburgh as of right now, when we're recording early in the afternoon on Monday, but if he does like it, it just, it's gotta be that pair. Indeed. So 18 games played for Bowen Byram, five goals, six assists so far, and 13 games remaining in the regular season. Let's see what he could do. Again, I'm just super excited to see this guy. I love what he brings to the table. I hope he hasn't lost that little bit of edge. You remember him getting in the faces of people. He didn't care who it was. He was was swagging out, so I hope he still has that bit of edge to his game here. Yeah, of course, and it's, um, again, man, this is a player that, had the balls to walk away from hockey. I think he's walking in knowing damn well that he's confident in himself and and the fact that he can be himself. And that's all you want. You don't want him to come in and kind of toe the line of what it means to be an NHL defenseman. You want him to come in and try to be who he can be. 
Um, obviously be cautious with the head injuries, but don't be cautious with your play. Really go in there and be the guy that you know you can be. And, you know, it's the guy that had, I think it was the first 12 games because that five game stretch he had in January wasn't really his best. He wasn't really that healthy. And we kind of realized that when he walked away in those five games, the only points he had, he had a goal and assist against Winnipeg on January 6th. That was that seven to one drubbing where I think Landis got get a hat trick and McKinnon had five assists or whatever. But in the other four games, he really wasn't doing much offensively. Didn't really have a lot of chances. However, the 12 or 13 games before that he had four goals and six assists. And he was the guy in the beginning of the year in October, and November that when Kel McCarr was having a little bit of a rough start to the year and Nathan McKinnon was in and out of COVID and comes back and McKinnon's first game of the season against Washington, he was minus five and Landis got great on opening night, two game suspension out. And like just all of these things that were happening to the lineup before Kadri got hot and all that Bowen was kind of like the unsung hero. Darcy Kemper wasn't playing well either. Like it was Bowen Byram who was like kind of surprisingly playing a lot better than anybody thought. And we were kind of starting to hype him up. And I, I promise you like Morvid Sider is a great defenseman and he might win the, uh, the Calder trophy. He might not cause the Red Wings have just shit the bed since the all-star game, but had it not been for this injury thing, like Bowen would be in that conversation with Zegris, with uh, all the all the other rookies that are in that conversation, Lucas Raymond and Sider and, you know, Tanner Janot and whoever, because he's that good. And he was running the first power play unit for a little while there, too. Like he is that good of a player. Yeah, he was getting noticed from around the league, from Avalanche fans. And, you know, he was quickly climbing the ranks and starting to become my favorite player on this Avalanche team just because I love the style he plays with. It's such a good mixture of skill and grit. And if he just had a little bit more size, he would really be, you know, a prototype defenseman, in my opinion, which, you know, that's not something he can help. But I'm still, again, really pumped to see him back and see what he can do the rest of the season. With that, we got to stick with some of the injury news. Nazem Kadri missing the last game against the Pittsburgh Penguins and probably going to miss some more here moving forward, but he is due to be playoff ready. So I guess your thoughts on the Nazem Kadri injury and um, you know how, how much of an impact does this really have on the team as a whole? Yeah, Jared didn't really sound too stressed or anxious or nervous about the fact that Kadri would play in the playoffs when he was asked about it. He was, was the expectation that he'll be back by then. And he said, yeah, like he'll be back by the playoffs. Um, the fact that he's going to miss some time, which is the, the, like the exact words that Jared used. Nas is going to miss some time. Nobody knows what that means. What I take that as is Nazem Kadri's at 83 points. It's a damn good season. I don't know if it's all the way until the playoffs, but it's kind of like I'm banged up. I'm sore. Uh, maybe in these last 13 games, I play seven of them, not 13. Maybe I play five and miss eight. Like, it just kind of seems like he kind of, he's gotten enough points to say, I've set myself up for my next contract. Now I need to be the guy that's focusing on the playoffs and being ready for the playoffs rather than like, you know, I'm not going to call him selfish if he wanted to do this, but like playing the next 13 games, busting my ass off to get 17 points and hit a hundred points and really cash out this summer, like hitting that 100, that century mark. This guy's a veteran has been around long enough to say, I'm going to put the personal accolades aside. I've done enough. Let me miss some, you know, let me miss some games and really just heal up a little bit. I can't confirm that that's the case. He might legitimately be injured and is chomping at the bit to be like, fuck, I hate that I'm missing some games. Like you never know. But between that, between the McKinnon news, it just like, the Landis thing, which we've been talking about for months. Like it just kind of seems like a lot of these guys are just 
you know, we've like, if the avalanche went tomorrow, Tuesday, that's their 50th win of the season in 70 games. Like this is a freaking good team, but it just kind of seems like a lot of these star players are like, all right, let's ease it up a little let's bit. Take let's take some maintenance here, right? We can afford to, it's a luxury that they can finally have. Let's load management. This bitch is what they're trying yeah. to do. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I mean, Jared Bednar, when he was talking about Nazem Kadri, said essentially that he felt like he got hit by a bus. I mean, you watch that hit, that's kind of what it was, right? You get one hit from one direction, then another hit from the other direction. I just think he's got a little bit of soreness in his body, a little bit of whiplash where he just needs some time, let that fade away, and he'll be back ready to go. Like you said with Nathan McKinnon and his injury, like you said with Gabe Landeskog and his injury, I think if he had to jump into the playoffs today he'd be able to, right? I mean, it's not a situation where it's debilitating that he can't play hockey. Yeah, I agree with that. And, you know, again, this is a 31-year-old guy that's played a lot of games and is is hungry for playoff success as much as he is for this phenomenal regular season he's had. And this is a guy that knows it's it's worth sacrificing five to ten games of, of score. I don't want to say padding my stats because for him to pad his stats means the Avalanche are scoring more goals and winning more games. But... It's worth sacrificing five to 10 games of regular season success for the long haul that is the Stanley Cup playoffs. Because, I mean, we know how it is in the playoffs. Like, winning one round is cool. Winning two rounds is cool. By the time you get to the third and fourth round, like, players are beat up. Teams aren't really, like, Stanley Cup final hockey, the quality isn't that good. Because players are so unbelievably beat up that just the hockey's not that good. There's a lot of excitement, but the actual quality of the game is it kind of takes a dip. So for Kadri, missing five or 10 games could make it take a little bit less of a dip, I guess. Yeah. And let's not forget to mention the point differential going on in the standings right now. Right. I mean, you look at the Avalanche comfortably sitting at 104. I mean, Minnesota Wild is the next closest team at 91 points. They have one game in hand. But what what, what is one game really going to do for you here? Yeah. So, I mean, the Avalanche are coasting into the end of the season here. 13 games to go. We're wrapping things up. I think it's fine if these guys, Landeskog, McKinnon, Kadri, chill out. Take, take a little bit off, come and play a game or two here, get your legs back under you, get the game-type feel back in, in your mind and into your hands and into your body. And then once playoffs hit, then you're back at 100% and, and, you're, and you're rolling. You got your whole lineup and a healthy one, too. Yeah, so right now the Avalanche are uh, they're two points up. Looking at the overall league standings, they're two points up on the Florida Panthers with obviously no games in hand. So the avalanche are 49, 16 and four. The Panthers simply take a win, put it in the loss 48, 15 and six. The regulation win. That is the first tiebreaker. The avalanche have five up on the Panthers. So that is going to be huge. Now I'm saying all that, say this, how much are the avalanche willing to do to make sure that they win the president's trophy? Like that's kind of the situation that it's at right now where the funny thing is like, I'm, I'm, I say that, but also you can miss Kadri, you can miss Landeskog and still beat the Pittsburgh Penguins. You can miss McKinnon against the Calgary flames and still win that game. And pretty well too. Like they can rest a lot of guys and still lock up the president's trophy. First place in the West is all but guaranteed. Like, well, actually it's basically guaranteed at this point, unless they go on a complete, like just the over they, they, yeah. yeah like they lose a lot like it's just not gonna happen at this point i mean the avalanche are first after that it goes east 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 and then the minnesota wild are ninth the calgary flame flames are in 10th and they're 13 and 15 points behind like you said so like the only thing that the avalanche have to worry about is if they don't win the president's trophy 
and they lose it to the Florida Panthers because they've opened up a six point cushion on the Carolina Hurricanes. At this point, you'd consider that pretty much a lock. But if they don't win the President's Trophy and if they make the Stanley Cup finals and if the team meeting them there is the Florida Panthers, they don't get home ice advantage. How much are they willing to sacrifice for that very small potential? I don't know. But at the same time, it's like this conversation might be meaningless because even without Kadri, even without Landeskog, even without Gerard, Byron returning, McKinnon missing a game here and there, they can probably still lock this thing up. I like to think that Jared Bednar cares about that kind of stuff, right? He loves detail. He loves to look into things and over-prepare. I also look back at, what, what was it, last year, two years ago, where we were heading into the final game of the season and Nathan McKinnon had a point goal he was trying yeah. to hit right the the game had no meaning on the standings no meaning for the avalanche whatsoever and a lot of people were saying why don't we race Nate why don't we rest Nathan McKinnon before the playoffs here but they played him in that final game tried to help him get that those extra points I don't think he got him I think he ended up with no points in that game yeah but they like to go for stuff like that they like to keep those accolades in mind it's not just about the Stanley Cup you got to keep the other things so, going too. No, I think I, I I think they like to keep accolades in mind that are more team driven now. Like Nathan McKinnon genuinely was upset he didn't win the 2018 Hart Trophy. And Nathan McKinnon genuinely should have fucking won the Hart Trophy in 2018. That was his award. They gave it to Taylor Hall, obviously. We've had conversations about that over the years. I genuinely don't think Nathan McKinnon cares about the Hart Trophy anymore. Not until he wins the Stanley Cup. I think if McKinnon gets the Stanley Cup at the age of 26 or 27 or 28 here in the next few years, after that, he's going to be like, all right, I'm going to go out of my way to make sure I win an Art Ross. I'm going to go out of my way to make sure I win a Hart Trophy. And then you know this freaking jackass is going to go out of his way and be like, I wonder if I can win the Maurice Rocket Richard Trophy and just try to outscore Austin Matthews, which would be just like a really tough thing to do, but it was something he would challenge himself with. But the difference is like, Getting Nathan McKinnon that 100th point against the Calgary Flames that one year, like that would have been, or I don't think it was against Calgary Flames. That was before they played the Flames. But the it playoffs. was the 100th point. That That's what been, I could remember, yeah. Yeah, the 100th point. They had 99 points in 82 games uh, for McKinnon that season. McKinnon playing 82 games. Imagine that. <laughs> the NHL playing 82 games. Imagine that, right? Um, so uh, they were trying to get him his 100th point. You know, if, if uh, Gabe Landeskog gets to... 89 this year they're gonna fight to get him 90 things like that but like that doesn't matter as much as a president's trophy thing jared bedner cares about the details like you said that are very like you know damn well that whole scenario i played out jared is such a planner and a preparer and likes to plan in advance that he's thinking of all that and he's been thinking about what if we yeah like what if we do make it past the first round and then we do make it past the second round and then we win the third round and in his head he's like so should landis touch the trophy or not let me (laughs) think should we take a group photo or just completely say fuck it and then if we make the final we better have home ice advantage but what if it's the florida panthers well we need to make sure that we take care of our side to make sure that we get the president's trophy which again they're two points ahead and they have the tiebreaker so they're pretty much two games ahead four points ahead because florida Gaining that extra two points isn't going to do anything. They'll be tied. The Avalanche will win the tiebreaker. Florida needs to gain a th- not a four-point, but a three-point cushion on the Avalanche the rest of the way, which would be pretty tough for them. So um, it's it's interesting to think about it because I, I, I know Jared is thinking of that. Like, I'm going to rest my guys, but I'm also going to bust my ass off 
JT Confer is going to play the hell out of his life, and so is Arturi Lekkinen and Val Nichushkin because we need to win the President's Trophy regardless. Well, especially because you've seen how big of a difference maker home ice has had for this team this year. They've been amazing at yeah. Ball Arena. Way better than they ever were at Pepsi amazing. Center. Yeah, this is uh, my favorite stat is 28 wins at Ball Arena this year is way different than Pepsi Center. Like it was a different entity, a different thing altogether. I'm glad you caught that. 28 Took wins. A <laughs> <laughs> Took me a sec. 28 wins at home this year is the most they've ever had in a season. They've still got six more home games. That's six chances to not only break this record, but shatter it. You know they're going to at least win two of them. They're probably going to win fucking five of them, but you know they're going to get to 30. You know they're probably going to have 30 regulation wins or 30 wins and five or fewer regulation losses. Like they're looking pretty damn well to shatter that record. But man, on the road, they're 21, 10, and three, and they've got seven more chances. Like they might end up with 25 wins on the road and 33 at home, like crazy ass numbers. But that home ice advantage does matter. It matters, especially in a season where. You're finally going to have, and this is silly to say it out loud, your first sold-out playoff game at Ball Arena slash Pepsi Center since the O-Captain, oh, my-Captain Gabe Landeskog game in Game 6 against San Jose three years ago. Like, that's how important home ice advantage is because Jared wants that 18,000 fans that are cheering the home team, that are giving them the energy that they had against the Penguins. It's been that long since they've had a sold-out playoff game. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, that's all I have to get to for the first half of the show here. Anything else you want to get out about Nas, home ice, or uh, the standings right now before we talk about our friends over at Total Beverage? Yeah, Nas is going to score goals and the Avalanche are going to get home ice. Carry on. <laughs> <laughs> all right, yeah, guys, everybody knows Total Beverage in Westminster and Thornton, right? Sure, Total Beverage has an incredible selection of beer, wine, and spirits, but did you know that they deliver? Did you know that they have curbside pickup available? And did you know that they do online wine education classes? If not, it's time to get to know Total Be Beverage again. Stop by on 104th in Thornton or on Sheridan in Westminster and see for yourself, or you can always find weekly deals, events, and even drink recipes online at TotalBev.com. Total beverage, everything you need, and more. All right, Arif, I think it's time we get into this Pittsburgh game that we saw on Saturday afternoon. Such a delightful game to watch, such a treat. You saw right away both teams came out of the gate strong, looking to send a, a message. Uh, one thing that really stood out to me about that game, and not only that game, all the games the Avalanche have been winning in the month of March, is their goal scoring. Right, They haven't been scoring quite at the clip that we've been used to, say, January, February, or just earlier in this season. They've been scoring less goals. With that, they've also been allowing less goals. But they're winning the 3 nothing games. They're winning the 2-1s against Calgary. The, they lost the 3-2 um, against Minnesota. But again, a low scoring got to overtime. So your thoughts on this stylistic play and I guess what exactly is helping them overcome these teams? Um, what's helping them get to those victories on these lower scoring games that we're not used to seeing this team play with. The little child that is this avalanche hockey team is growing up. Like it's that's, that's what it is. They've got experience under their belt and uh, they seem resilient as all hell. Like they're overcoming every possible, you know, it, like domino or, or domino issue that comes their way. They're overcoming all these challenges, these hurdles, uh, these dominoes, apparently <laughs> um, they like put it this way against the Calgary flames. 
Nathan McKinnon is out. You just played the Minnesota Wild, and Eric Johnson got that late penalty on Tyson Jost. You lost against Minnesota, your former teammate, blah, blah, blah. You're not feeling too good in that moment. I mean, like, your playoff spot is pretty much settled. But, like, you're not feeling too good in that moment. And then you wake up the next day, and Nathan McKinnon's out. By the way, you're going to Calgary to play the second-best team in the Western Conference. Great. That's fantastic. You go to Calgary. Darcy Kemper plays a game of his life. Valerie Nichushkin's a monster. Miko Rantanen is a monster. They beat the Calgary Flames 2-1. to one. Then they get a couple more games in here. They end up with this Pittsburgh game where, you know, 30-40% to 40% of Ballerina is Pittsburgh Penguin fans, which, by the way, I love when those games happen. I know a lot of people kind of, like, hate that. Number one, all it means is a lot of people move here from out of state, which I'm one of them. Like, I'm from Detroit. There's a lot of people from Detroit that live here. That's why Red Wings games are, you know, littered with red jerseys. So I love seeing those kinds of games, not because I'm like, oh, less Avalanche fans, but because, like, when you have 20, 30, 40% of the fans in that arena cheering for the other team, which if you remember the second Penguins goal, holy shit, that was loud. Like, they were really cheering. It gets the home fans to want to kind of outmatch the road fans. And now you suddenly have this energy of like, you ever watch wrestling where it's like, let's go Cena, Cena sucks and cheering John Cena and then saying John Cena sucks. Like it kind of gives you that vibe. Yeah, my my, my favorite game at... My favorite game at Ball Arena is the boo, yay, yeah. boo, right where they'll show an Avalanche yeah, fan yeah, and then yeah, they'll yeah, show yeah. the opposing fan. They'll show the Avalanche fan and it just yeah, goes back no, and forth. I, I, yeah, very creative. I love that. But like, that's the thing. So like <laughs> the Avalanche fans get a little more energy because they want to outmatch the road team's fans and you just kind of go back and forth and you have this game that's just loaded with energy. And then it kind of helps where on the ice, Sidney Crosby, Evgeny Malkin, and Chris Letang, not young bucks anymore, but still pretty fucking good at hockey, going up against Nathan McKinnon, Miko Ray, and then Kale McCarr, and no disrespect to the other guys on both teams because there's a lot of skill on that, t- on that ice. Tristan Jari's having a great year. Darcy Kemper's having an exceptional year. Just a great game. But the resiliency. The Avalanche take a one nothing lead. Pittsburgh Penguins tie it up thanks to some guy named Sidney Crosby. Casually scores a goal. 20 seconds later, Nicholas Abe Kubel with a 95 mile per hour clapper right through Jari, back of the net and out so fast. Nobody even knew what the hell happened. Later on, Mike Matheson ties it. What was there? Five and a half minutes left. 27 seconds later, Devon Taves, eventual game winner. The resiliency of this team to not hang their heads when things don't go right. And yes, I am stealing words from Jared Bednar. Not hanging their heads when things don't go right. It's something that they would have done in the past, but they don't do anymore. It's growth. Right. And they've been through much tighter games, right? I mean, you haven't seen the discrepancy in the goal scoring. I mean, I just did during your little spiel there, I did some math during the month of March. They're scoring 3.07 <laughs> goals a game and allowing 2.4. Both of those low numbers, but a very tight window there, right? I think earlier in the season, we saw that gap a lot bigger. So they're winning the tougher games and uh, they're, they're figuring it out. They're doing it on the backs of different guys, right? They've seen the goaltender rise to the occasion. They've seen some of the bigger guys rise to the occasion. And I think we've even seen some of the new guys rise to the occasion here and there, which we'll get into in a second. But um, yeah, I just love the way they're playing a different style of hockey and figuring out a way to win even then. Yeah, funny that three goals per game is suddenly like, man, that's a low number. That's an incredible number. But compared to where they were, yeah, it is mm-hmm. It is a lot lower. But uh, 
yeah, they, they just, uh, the hockey the last couple of weeks has been like, you know, that chef's kiss emoji. Like it's just, it's so, it's good. Like it's, they, they're doing something right and it's still without three or four really big pieces. Yeah, it's been tougher, grind it out, dig deep hockey, right? I mean, you're watching the games build up slowly. You're watching them kind of go 0-0 zero, zero into halfway through the game until finally something gives and, and somebody breaks. So they're they're tougher games to play down here down the stretch, and they're rising to the occasion, and I love it. Yeah, like that that Pittsburgh game, as incredible as it was, I, I, I'm not going to pretend I know the Pittsburgh Penguins injury situation, but I don't think they have a lot because Gensel played and Russ played and uh, their new guy, Ricard Raquel, played. But on the Avalanche side, Gabe Landeskog, you know, the captain, the guy that's got 30 goals already and is having a career year in terms of points per game and is pretty freaking good at hockey. Nazem Kadri, 83 points in like 60-something games. Sam Gerrard, top four defenseman. Bowen Byram, young up and coming rising top four defensemen like those are a lot of big names and ryan murray who is a very unsung hero for the season he, like he's he's an unsung hero for the avalanche like he's had a really great january february march leading up to that injury obviously the injury's unfortunate for him but he's really picked it up too like that is a good defenseman in ryan murray that the avs have and all five of those guys missing from the lineup and they still played a really good game so like five guys that are currently playing are gonna sit assuming Murray slots in as well. Like this team is loaded and, and and it's just kind of mind boggling to see that even with, you know, you got 18 skaters that play, even with their 22nd and 23rd best skaters, they put in a game like that against the Penguins and everybody was pulling their weight. There was no passengers that night. Yeah. That and with, with, yeah, that's, that's true. I got yelled at on the internet for saying tonight um, when tweeting <laughs> about that game. But with that, I think we saw the arrival of Arturi Lekkonen, right? I think he really made an impact in that game and made himself noticed and said, guys, this is the type of game I play. This is what you're going to get out of me the rest of the way here. And I think everybody was delighted to see the style he brought. I mean, it was tenacious, hardworking. We thought Nachushkin was good at forechecking. I think hmm. Arturi Lekkonen just saw him and rose, raised What's the past tense? He raised him. Rose, rose to rose, the occasion. Saw no, no, no. I'm like like betting, like in uh, poker, right? He saw. I see oh, you, yeah, yeah, and I yeah, raise yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, yeah, I guess he just raised the bar that much more on uh, Val Nachushkin and really said, "This is the way you should be forechecking, boys." Yeah. So I'll figure out a way to word my question to Jared because you know you and I were talking in the press box about just how incredible there was that one play, and everybody remembers it. There was that play where the whistle blew and. Chris Letang was so frustrated. He just slaps the puck up against the boards and uh, the ref had to have a little chat with him. Like, Hey, that's kind of shitty of you to do that. And the whole arena was booing him. That was because for about 30 seconds, Arturi Lekkonen wouldn't let him breathe the relentlessness of the four checks. So I was trying to find a way to kind of ask about that. And I said, fuck it. I'm just going to be straightforward. Hey, Jared, was that the most relentless four check you've ever seen from a player? And, uh, he goes, no, no, it was, hey, Jared, have you ever had a player that forechecks like Arturi Lekkonen, as aggressive as he does? And Jared has a smile on his face and in the most Canadian accent possible says, he's relentless, eh? And he kind of like smir smirks it off. And then he goes on to say that when the Avalanche acquired Arturi Lekkonen, upper management being Joe Sakic and, and those guys literally told him that what you're getting in Archery Lekkonen is a mini Val. He said a mini Val. And as soon as I heard mini Val, you know, my eyes are going to light up because I love Val Nichushkin. <laughs> so like Archery Lekkonen and 
Val Nachushkin, Val and Minival on the same line with JT Comfer as their center as the second line without Kadri, pretty much busting the ass of Sidney Crosby and of getting Malkin all night. Like they did an excellent job. I know Crosby scored, but man, lecking it on the forecheck. You can tell that Pittsburgh game was his coming out party, even though offensively he didn't produce you can tell he's comfortable and he's ready to be like, all right, guys, I'm just giving you a piece of what I can do. Let's ramp it up these next 13 games and then the playoffs. Yeah, I think it's about consistency and how often he can bring that style of game, right? I mean, if he can do that every single night, then he's going to give Jared Bednar a tough decision to make when it comes to his top six guys. So um, that being said, what do you think that looks like ultimately um, in a playoff setting? What, What does he go with on those top six? So let me let me take you back, flash it back to last Thursday when I did that the last podcast when you were when uh, you were I, I said you were day to day and then I said it's probably like a Nathan McKinnon day to day where like everybody thinks it's long term and then he's just gonna show up after one game. Um, I kind of made a joke <laughs> with myself. I had nothing else going for me. I like but, it. I like it. But you know, I literally sat back and it's, it's hilarious when you do a podcast with yourself and I said we need to have a conversation about Andre Burakovsky's lack of scoring. And then I paused and then I said, okay, let's have the conversation because there was nobody to have that conversation with but myself. It was great. (laughs) So the purpose of me to bring that up is to say like Andre Burakovsky, yes, he scored a couple games ago, finally. Um, Yes, he's, he's, he's a great skilled scorer, but like. I'm starting to think that Andre Burakovsky is going to be on the third line when this team's forwards are fully healthy because we just talked about Arturi Lekkanen and Val Nichushkin mucking it up on the forecheck. Both of them can produce offensively. Val Nichushkin's, you know, over, uh, he's blowing by his career numbers. He's operating at like a 60 to 70 point pace. Arturi Lekkanen in Montreal was operating at a 41 point pace over a full season on a bad Montreal Canadiens team. So you know that's like he's good for 50 to 60 on a good avalanche team. They are both strong four checkers. They are both penalty killers, strong on the defensive side. You stick those two guys, Val and Minival, on either side of Nazem Kadri in the season he's having, and you've got an incredible line. Like the Swiss army knife of this team playing behind this like, you know, Landeskog McKinnon ran in line that I think is pretty good too. And then... If you knock both those guys out and you find a way to shut them down somehow, then you're going to have this third line come out. JT Comfort is just an aggressive, you know, muck it up type of player made for the playoffs. Like we just talked about, he was the center of that line against Pittsburgh. And then he's going to have a couple skilled guys on his line and Andre Burakovsky and Alex Newhook that can both put the puck in the net. How do you stop the abs? Like it just that extra one piece in Arturi Lekkanen just makes them so much more deeper in that top nine so much more deeper i think you're uh so in a, deeper unreal <laughs> you're in between a rock and a hard place there putting andre burakovsky on the third line i think historically we've seen that that hurts his game right you, t- you take away some minutes you take away some of the skill of the guys around him and suddenly he stops producing and i, mean, I think five goals in his last 35 games playing with skilled guys how much worse can I get? Four goals in sure. 35 games? 
Sure, sure. And then uh, on the other side of things too, you know, his style of play isn't exactly that of a third line type that you're trying to play, you know, especially if you're matching up against other teams. So putting Andre Burakovsky on a third line is going to be tough for Andre Burakovsky. Is it better for the team? Very likely so, especially with Arturi Lekanen and, and Nachushkin um, together in just a forechecking chaotic mayhem. How about this? How about this? Your second line is Comfer, Newhook, and Burakovsky. Because that's going to be your more skilled line. Your third you know line. Yeah. Your third line, hear me out. Your third line is Nachushkin, Kadri, and Lekanen. That's going to be your more shut down aggressive line. But here's the catch. Play the third line more than the second line. Andre, you're on the second line. You're playing <laughs> with the more skilled guys. Skilled, I don't know. I, I think you loosely. flip you flip Kadri and, and Comfer, and then I think you might have something there. I mean, that, I don't hate that idea either, right? Think of a Comfer between Lekin and Chushkin, and well, that's you don't have to I think. mean, that's what we've been they, seeing. They just, they just yeah, did it. That's what we're Pittsburgh. watching right now. Yeah. And he's been fantastic. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I think you got a lot to play with. And then Kadri, Burakovsky, Newhook. Yeah, exactly. Like Kadri, Burakovsky, Newhook was a, was a yeah. line at one point. Like, either way, you change those centers up. Like, but it gives you options, man. And that doesn't even include the fact that like before Landis got injured, he was playing with Kadri. Obviously I think Jared's going to go back and stack that top line when they're all healthy. But like, dude, that w basically what I'm getting is that that one extra piece, that number 62 really like put this, it put the team together. And we're not even talking about the fourth line. Andrew Cogliano has been awesome. Darren Helm has been, you know, the veteran guy that he is. He's great at it. Nicholas Abe Kubel. Oh, and by the way, Logan O'Connor. Like, they're so deep, and I'm probably missing someone. They're so freaking deep. Oh, I am missing someone, Nico Sturm. Like, who's playing? Like, there are so many guys, and you're not going to be healthy all the time, and with this team, you know damn well they're going to be four or five injuries deep all the time, but they got a lot of options. A lot of options. So, And that, you know, with that, if Andre Burakovsky isn't playing to the level that you need him to, why not just sit him a game? Send a message. Have somebody in there who's more capable of playing the style you are looking yeah. for. So yeah, a lot yeah, of things. There's five guys I just talked about too. Yeah. That that's a, yeah. that's a and then man, I, I got I gotta mention New Hook's game right now. I just I've said this before. I've been all over him all season, but I just love what he brings and he's growing in front of our eyes and becoming a better player each and every single game. And the way he scores goals is similar to the greatest goal scorers that we know. I mean, I saw a goal from him, his most recent goal, right? That little just kind of throw the puck at the net from the from the blue line. He was playing F3 really high and he just kind of just kind of threw it on net. And then you pay attention around the NHL and you saw a very similar goal out of Austin Matthews and you saw a very similar goal out of Alex Ovechkin. Just those goal scoring mindsets that know when to get the puck on net, catch the goalie off guard. Even if I'm all the way out at the blue line, I'm going to rip this wrister and catch the goalie uh, maybe sleeping a little bit. And I think those are kind of skills that aren't very common anymore. I think you find a player that has that ability to just know when to fire the puck, know when to shoot it, and uh, ha has no, I guess, second thoughts about it. That's how you get a great goal scorer. So again, I've said this a million times this season, but I can't wait to see the growth and the ceiling of Alex Newhook because I think we're still so far from it. Newhook and Byron, man, these are two players that we've talked about today that are both playing more depth roles on this team 
Um, similar to, I have a forward example of it. Tyler Sagan, when the bank, when the pe- the Penguins, the Bruins won the cup in 2011, and Tyler Sagan went on to be a nine million dollar center that was scoring 80, 90 points in Dallas, and you know, obviously, he's fallen off since. But there's a long road ahead for Alex Newhook, just like Bowen Byron, both taken in that same draft. Yep, and mark my words here. You heard it first on Hockey Mountain High. He's going to be a great goal scorer, not just a good one, Absolutely. not just an offensive mind. He's yeah. going to be a great goal scorer in this league. Um, last thing I wanted to get to really from the, uh, I guess, the group of guys that the Avalanche are playing with in that Pittsburgh game was at the end we saw the Avalanche kind of have to kill off a penalty before the Penguins pulled Tristan Jari and went for the extra skater. On that penalty kill... We saw pretty much a majority of all the new guys that they acquired at the trade deadline. I love seeing Jared Bednar's trust in these guys. I love seeing the fact that they said, man, our penalty kill needs some work. Let's go get some guys from the penalty kill. And they got a rip of them. (laughs) Yeah. So, um, yeah, I just wanted to point that out. It's good to see that they're trusted, that they've developed this trust so quickly. And now they're here to kill penalties and do the job that they were brought in to do. Yeah, like for any fan that's been listening to all the post games, like if you are the nerd that I once was where I go in and I listen to every single post game report and interview after a game when I was living out in Detroit, you can kind of hear Jared Bednar been talking about this and the players talking about this was the fact that the, some of the guys talked about some of the newer guys, Manson and Cogliano and, and, and all these guys. They talked about Nico Sturm, how the penalty kill for the avalanche, the system is so different. It, it took a little bit of time for them to kind of get a grasp of it. And, uh, you know, think back three, four months ago, earlier on in the season when Jared Bednar talked about not three, four months ago, maybe two months ago, when Jared talked about how the avalanche completely redid the penalty kill system. It is completely different. We have redone it. We've revamped it, and we're trying something different. We're trying something new. Then they get these new guys. They got to catch them and get them up to speed. Then comes the trade deadline, and when they got all these guys, and I even asked Jared, I said, like, you guys acquired four guys, and all of them play on the penalty kill. Was that on purpose? He said, well, it helps. Like, everybody has to bring something to the team. So what that says to me is, like, yeah, we were looking for good guys that can play on the PK. So they got all these guys on the PK and they did an excellent job. Pittsburgh didn't really have a chance on that play, um, you know, on that power play, the, the late penalty to Darren Helm, the, the one penalty in the game, which was just, I, I have my own opinions on that and why I think that that's kind of stupid, but uh, they did a great job and it was all thanks to those new guys. Like you saw Sturm and Cogliano jump over and then Manson and Lekkanen jump over and like replace them, you know, in different positions. But like just the new guys were running the show on the PK. Yeah, absolutely. I, I really think that says a lot. I think that sends a message to the fan base that n- not only were these moves moves that we thought were going to make this team better, but they have already jumped in and are making an impact right away. And they've caught on quickly and we're ready to trust them in any situation, even when the game's on the line. I love it. I love yeah. it. I'm here for it. So let's get into those thoughts of yours about that penalty. I know you've been itching to talk about this one. You, you even reminded me in the press box, hey, Remind me when we record our podcast to mention this penalty because I have some thoughts on it. I'm ready for this hot take. Burn us down, Arif. Burn us down. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't call it a hot take. I don't remember. I'm not, I'm not going to lie. Uh, like I can't I can't off the top of my head think of the Darren, Darren Helm penalty and what exactly he did. But what I do remember is about five minutes before that, there was a play where the Penguins were, you know, should have been called for something. And Eric Johnson kind of looks at the ref after the whistle blows and just kind of like throws his arms up like, like what the hell? We're, we're halfway through the third period. There hasn't been a penalty in this game. And you're not going to call that. Now, here's my issue. 
that was an intense, hard checking game. Jared Bednar even said it. And when you play 40 minutes of hockey where both teams are playing like that, uh, about 100% of the time, there is at least one penalty worth calling. Now, my issue with the refs not calling a penalty in the first 40 minutes is when it gets to the third period of a close game, now it's in the ref's head. What penalty can I call that isn't going to be seen as like a weak call? So now the play that Eric Johnson was arguing about was annoyed and frustrated about the ref probably had to think in his head for a little bit. Well, we've let everything else slide. I can't call this now in a three to two game or in a two to two or two to one game. I got to let this one slide too. And then I got to let this one. And then should we call this one? Is this enough of a penalty to be like, this is the standard? Like you've now set the standard through 40 minutes that you can do whatever the hell you want. We're not going to call a penalty that no matter what you call in the third, someone's going to look at it and say, you let that slide period ago and that's my issue with it like refs pretty much control the game in that sense but i would much rather the refs control the game in the sense where you call the penalties and then let the players adjust rather than the players do whatever the hell you want and then you adjust later and the players are like why did you just adjust they did that to us in the first period it wasn't allowed it was allowed now i did it and i'm getting two minutes in the box in a game where we're trying to pretty much guarantee ourselves two points in the standing so it's it frustrates me when that happens. And the reason why this is worth talking about is because the playoffs are coming. We know what happens in the playoffs. The refs swallow their whistles. It's really frustrating. It's not the same NHL hockey that you see in the regular season. And then you have star players like Austin Matthews and Connor McDavid arguing and snapping in the media, especially McDavid after this playoff series last year, where they're not getting any calls because now suddenly people are, are it's fair game. You can move the hell you want to the star players. And for an avalanche team where Nathan McKinnon probably has some kind of a finger injury and Nazem Kadri's coming back from wherever the hell he's coming back from and Gabe Landeskog's got some kind of knee issue, you're going to swallow the whistle. People are going to go after those players and they're going to go after the parts of their bodies that are ailing them. And uh, I, I don't like it. I didn't like the way the refs handled that game. There should have been more power plays. Was it a fun game? Absolutely. Was it great to see these two teams go head to head five on five 100%? But that should not have been the case. Yeah, refereeing is always a topic, right? Especially among media members, yeah. it's always something to throw stones at. But it definitely feels like right now it's a more of a conversation than ever. I mean, we've heard about it being talked about at the GM's meetings. You look back this past weekend at the Troy Terry, Jay Beagle situation and how the referees could have impacted that situation a little bit better, right? It seems like league-wide, referees are getting a microscope put on them right now, and rightfully so. Getting into playoff time, you don't want these referees being the deciding factor. You want them to just do their job, not be making too much noise or being seen too heavily. So they got to really do a hard assessment and pick the right referees for the playoffs because I know that's the way it works. And uh, they just got to make sure to, to make to make the right picks. Pick the uh, all-star refs and the A-game refs, the ones that have no mistakes. And again, that's the way it works, so I'm confident that they're going to get there. But from what we've seen in the regular season so far, you know, it doesn't seem like they have a full league's worth of adequate refs. Yeah, and there's also, I, I don't know if it's the refs, like they're, 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 they're not, they're, they're inadequate or adequate. I think it's more of the fact that like, this is what the refs are trained to do. 
It's to control the game. It's to play hockey. And so let the boys play sometimes, but also sometimes we're going to call a penalty in the first 45 seconds and say, I hope you heard. I hope you learned. Like every game is officiated differently. And like, you, you don't see that in soccer. You don't see that in other sports. Well, and that sounds like a, that sounds like a skill in itself, right? So you got to make sure to pick the referees that know how to run the game that way the best. You know, I'm sure there are other referees that tend to swallow their whistles a it's, little bit too much. It's or they're, so weird because the same referees will decide to ref a game differently on any given night. Yeah, that's it's, true. I don't know, man. It's the refereeing is a topic. It will be. This is not the f- last time you and I are going to talk about officiating. I promise you in the playoffs, mm-hmm. somebody's going to get a two hand to like the part of the wrist that's not covered. It's probably going to be Nathan McKinnon because they would be aiming for one of his fingers, whichever one they think is hurting. Um, and uh, we're going to talk about it some more. It's just it's it's frustrating. And again, it was a very fun game. It was great to see these two teams play pretty much nearly 60 minutes of five on five hockey. But there should have been penalties in that game, 100%. There were missed calls on both sides, and a lot of them, and it set a standard that we cannot call anything in the third period now because we've let so much slide. Whatever we call, it's going to be like, that's the one that broke the back, the camel's back. Like, it's, I I just, I don't like it. That's the one that jumped the domino. Um, No, I'm I'm (laughs) with you there. (laughs) The good news is, for Avs fans and Penguins fans around the world, we get to see another matchup between these guys tomorrow in Pittsburgh. Five o'clock mountain time, uh, another treat. Hopefully it's just as entertaining of a game. I wonder if we're going to see goalie changes considering the couple days in between these two games and the couple days the Avalanche have ahead. I don't know what the Penguins are going to do, but there's no reason not to play Darcy Kemper. He plays Saturday, he plays Tuesday, and then the next game after that isn't until Friday. The Avalanche play Friday and Saturday back-to-back. You could even play him Friday, but they'll probably play Frankie Friday and play him Saturday, but... There, there's just so much time between these three games with two days off in between each one that you got to go back to Darcy, man. He's hot. He's feeling it against Pen- Penguins team. He deserves that respect. Go in there and win a road game. Yeah. Yep. He's playing some good hockey and oh, along with the entire team. I like where they're at right now. I like where uh, they're heading into the playoffs. Just I like I like the mindset. I like where we're um, looking at health report wise. Right. And I like just the stylistic just this team. Play. Yeah, exactly. Everything about this team is heading the right direction. Picasso, I like it. Um, <laughs> cool. Well, that's all I have for you guys today on this edition of the podcast. Anything you want to close with, Arif, before we get out of here? That is all for me. It is a wonderful day in Denver. It's beautiful weather, and I am just, I don't know, something about that game on Saturday, and I told this to you even in person, like that finally felt like the playoffs are coming up. It was the matinee game. It was the sunshine weather in that matinee game. It was Sidney Crosby and Nathan McKinnon. It was just the energy in the rink, the sold out crowd, the the, the cheers and the boos and the oohs and the ahs. Like, <laughs> I'm so ready, man. I'm so ready for the playoffs. I love that. The cheers and the boos and the oohs and the ahs. <laughs> Let's get to the playoffs already. Uh, guys, thanks for hanging out with us on this edition. You know, let us know if you want to talk to us or have any questions or just want to say hi we're we're available for you anywhere you want on twitter on instagram we're still building our instagram page arif's on reddit so if you want to find him there he's available for you but yeah say what's up to us any way you want other than that we'll be back later in the week for another podcast here enjoy the pittsburgh game and of course if you made it this far in the podcast bless your heart let's make hockey for everyone and we at you